All right, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. It's the daily Bible reading for the week, Psalm 119. And uh, we passed, uh, we've already read over uh, verses 57 through 64, but I want to bring one verse to your attention. And uh, so, Psalm 119 from the daily Bible reading. Verses 57 through 64. You are my portion, O Lord, my portion. You know, back in the book of Numbers, when God was delegate, when God was giving land to the 12 tribes of Israel, he said to the family of Aaron, I don't want you to get any land because I personally am your portion. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. With my whole heart, I want your blessings, Lord. Be merciful to me according to your word. You have promised certain things. You plan certain things. You have purposes in your heart and mind that you're going to fulfill. If I were to use a human terminology to describe the nature of God and His attitude towards us. And and He says, I want you to be merciful, but I want it to be based on what you promise you will do. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay. I didn't linger around. I didn't procrastinate. I decided that when I looked at my ways and compared them to your ways... I need to change, and I did it speedily. I didn't dilly-dally about it. So I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Sounds like a testimony to me, doesn't it to you? All right, well, let's stop right there and uh, have a word of prayer, and then we'll go right into the message. Father, we pray for you to guide us and direct us in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's verse 61 that I want to bring to your attention, and I want you to think about this, 61 and 62, actually. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. You know, he's excited. He loves his relationship with the Lord. He is telling God all about what he has done in order to line up with God's word, and he says, the cords of the wicked have bound me. The wicked are trying to drag me down. The wicked are trying to drag me into sin. The wicked are trying to change my mind. The wicked are trying to confuse me. The wicked are trying to make life difficult for me. He says, but I have not forgotten your law. And then he has this very strange thing that he says next. At midnight... I will rise to give thanks to you. Everybody together, let's say it together. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. At midnight. Well, if there's one thing this passage of Scripture teaches us, it teaches us that we are to give thanks to God. Without those extra words in there, we are to give thanks to God. 
One of the reasons why we come and worship on Sunday morning, and I wish the world understood this. I wish the world understood that every time we come to church, it's not to hear, hear a hellfire and brimstone message. I wish the world, and I hope the world will learn that we get up on Sunday morning and we come to church because we want to give the Lord thanks for who He is and what He does. That's why we do it. We start our week out by showing our gratitude to God for who He is and what He's done. I think the biggest challenge when we come to worship on Sunday morning is to look at all of the problems and the difficulties and the trials and the, and the things that we face and try to put them aside for a moment in order to give the Lord thanks for everything. In our hymn book, which is Hymns of Faith, in the back of the book we have several thanksgiving psalms. Now, they would have been considered psalms years ago because in the day when we didn't have hymn books, guess what the song book was for the church? It was the book of psalms. And so we were singing psalms out of the song book. But I want you to be reminded of a couple of these songs that we have in our hymn book. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices. Are you aware of the fact that that was forged during the time of the 30 years war over in Europe? Do you realize that the, the pastor of the, um, of the church where this hymn came from had, did, had done funerals for 5,000 residents, including his wife, back in 1637? And out of that comes this song, Now Thank We All Our God. Then you have Count Your Blessings. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but it starts with, because you think about it, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, are you ever burdened with a load of care? When you look at others with their lands and gold, so amid the conflict, whether great or small, those are the first, the, the great or small, those are the first lines of the four stanzas of that song. Count your blessings. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. The wicked oppressing, yes. This was the Dutch praying for freedom from Spanish oppression. After city after city was being captured and sacked and citizens were exiled. And it looked like there was no, uh, no light at the end of the tunnel. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. Well... I share that with you because when we look at what he says here, he says, at midnight I will rise to give thanks to you. You and I probably can immediately go to these psalms and say, that's what it's all about. Now, I could say, I could say when he gets up at midnight because he doesn't have enough time to thank the Lord for everything that happens to him during the day, so he has to burn the midnight oil. I could say that, right? And, you, and who would know for sure? But usually in the Bible, when you look at passages of Scripture that describe being up at midnight, it's because a person can't sleep. The Psalms speak about it. We have several Psalms. But I'll tell you what, my favorite is the book of Job, chapter 7. 
And I think he's pretty descriptive about the problem of not being able to sleep in Job chapter 7 in the third, third, third verse. But let's just look at um, verses 1 and following. Job chapter 7, verses 1 and following. Is there not a time of hard service for men on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade because he's working in the hot sun? And like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages, he can't wait till the day is over. It's been a hard day and he wants to get paid. So I have been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I've had my fill of tossing till dawn. And I'll tell you what, I think most of us can probably a little bit identify with Job in those restless nights and those nights that we can't sleep and those nights that we have overwhelming problems coming in on us and we can't think about anything else than the problem that we're facing. He says, so at midnight I will arise. It's kind of like the Psalms, the, the Psalms that we were looking at, the, the Thanksgiving Psalms. They're singing and thanking the Lord at midnight, so to speak. But why Thanksgiving? Why is it Thanksgiving? Well, the context indicates it. That's why I read a few verses of the context and we'll finish it now. He says, you know, I live in a world where the wicked are constantly bombarding me and constantly influencing me and constantly trying to drag me down and constantly confusing me. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And there are many instances in the Psalms where the psalmist says, I throw up my hands and I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to think anymore. I don't know how to act anymore. I don't know who's right anymore. I can't tell. And I see the frustration of that in verse 61. The cords of the wicked have bound me. But why thanksgiving? Because when you look at the context of this passage of Scripture, he says, he gives us his reason at the end of verse 62, he says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of what? Your righteous judgments. Let's all say that together. Your righteous judgments. Even though I am living under all of this wicked oppression... All of this wicked influence around me. I have not forgotten your law. I have not forgotten your words. I have not forgotten your testimonies. I have not forgotten your commandments. I have not forgotten your precepts. I have not forgotten your statutes. And here he uses that word to describe God's word. Your judgments. They are righteous. Now when we think of the word judgments we think of a courtroom scene. Do we not? I can't help but think of a courtroom scene when I think of judgments. And when I think of judgments, I think of a courtroom scene where the judge is making decisions and giving sentences. See? So it's okay. Think about that. God is a judge, and he's a righteous judge. Every decision he makes and every sentence he gives and 
every bit of advice is right. His judgments are always right. And that's a refreshing thing to hear in a day and an age when we don't know what to think half the time. No wonder he's excited. He says, you know what? No matter what the pressure is, no matter what, the, what, the, what people are trying to do to get me to be persuaded, to, to think the way they think, no matter how they're trying to drag me down and drag me into sin, no matter how they're trying to wrap me up in their cords and bind me up with their ropes, like those old westerns when they put you in a chair and they put all this rope around you, right? No matter. He says, my mind is clear. And I can see through all of this because I just asked myself this question, what does God want me to think? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to believe? Because whatever he thinks and whatever he decides and whatever he plans is always right. It can't be wrong. It cannot be wrong. We can be wrong. He is always right. Well, so here we have it. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. When I can't sleep and when I'm being bombarded with problems and my thoughts won't allow me to settle down and relax and rest because I'm dealing with that stuff all night long, I will get up and my remedy for that problem is I will give thanks to you and I will do it because your righteous judgments are what's going to get me through. And righteous judgments are not only what God decides and what he plans and what he thinks, but it's also what he does. It's what he does. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, if I could remind you of that. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 is a passage of scripture that says to us, Paul is writing to the church. He's in, a Philippi, in the Philippian jail. And I mean, he's writing to the Philippians. He's in a Roman jail. He had been at Philippi. And, um, and the Bible tells us that he is, uh, he is writing to the Philippians about their problem about worry. And what does he say to them in Philippians chapter 4? First uh, and Second Corinthians, keep going. First and Second Corinthians, I should have put a marker in there. Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philippians rather. All right, in chapter 4, what does he say? Now, if you have it, read it with me, all right? I'm reading from the New King James Version. And if you had it, if you have this, I just want you to be aware of the fact that he says to us, first of all, in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Everybody together, be anxious for nothing. Say to yourself, I should not be anxious for anything. Now, anxiety is an emotion. It's there for a purpose. When God gives it to us and we exercise and, and we find ourselves in an anxious state, then it sends a message to us that we need to do something about it. It's like anger, and it's like depression, and it's like fear. All of those are emotions that God has given to us. They're not sinful in and of themselves, but they can become sinful. If I can't go to sleep at night, and I'm worried, sick, and I'm up all night, what am I supposed to do? My anxiety is to send a message to me that I need to do something about it. And so the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing in verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication, what? With 
thanksgiving. That's pretty much what the psalmist is saying. I can't sleep, I'm up, so I'm going to get up and I'm going to thank the Lord. I'm going to thank Him, and I'm going to thank Him, and I'm going to thank Him. I'm going to thank Him for His sound mind, His righteous judgments in a world where nobody seems to have a sound mind anymore, as far as the unbelieving world is concerned. I'm going to thank him for the fact that in Psalm 19, he says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. I'm going to thank him for all of his wonderful works and his doings. I'm going to thank him for his plans and his purpose. I'm going to thank him for my plan, his plan for me in the circumstance that I'm in. I'm going to thank him for all of those things. And so the Apostle Paul says that I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask the Lord to help me to to solve my problem, to deal with, uh, give me strength, to answer my prayer, but I'm not going to do it without thanksgiving. Paul and Silas, where are they in Acts chapter 16? Does anybody remember where they are in Acts chapter 16? You remember where Paul and Silas are in Acts chapter 16? Huh? They're in jail in the city of Philippi. (laughs) And they got there because a multitude, in verse 22 of chapter 16, rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Why are they being beaten? Because they're sharing the gospel. Now, you know, Satan, Satan instigated that, because that's the last thing in the world Satan wants anybody to do, is share good news, the good news of the gospel to anybody. In verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secure. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. It wasn't bad enough that they could be in the prison and walk around. They had to be in the inner prison, and their feet and their hands had to be in their feet in stocks. But what happened at midnight? Oh, midnight. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. See why we need to be a good testimony to an unbelieving world that we are a thankful people. There's so much to be... uh, We grumble and complain about a lot, don't we? I find out the older that I get, the more I grumble. I've even said to my wife, I said, I'm just getting to be a grouchy old man, aren't I? It's dawn in here. Oh, yeah, there she is. <laughs> Unfortunately, I catch myself, you see. I catch myself. You know, things, the older we get, the, the less we are in control of a lot that happens to us, right? The less we're capable of doing because we we're not as young as we were. And, uh, you know, I can't, uh, I can't get on the roof and I can't throw those shingles down like an artist would do in a cartoon, you know, and nail them all down in five seconds. And it takes me longer to do things. And I do it with pain. And um, so I can tell you that's where my grouchiness comes from. But at least, 
you know, the Lord reminds me, and I'm glad these passages are in here to remind me, Gary, you need to be thankful. Gary, you need to be thankful. And here are some quick applications. I'll give them to you in just a minute. But I just want you to think a couple of things here. When we think of Thanksgiving Day, we go back to the pilgrims in 1620. That's what we usually do. And that's right. It's right to do that. There was Thanksgiving, by the way, down in Jamestown. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, back out in, in, in the West, I guess it would now be the state of Texas, back in the 1500s when the missions were being established out there, they declared Thanksgiving days back then. Back in the 1500s. When we really didn't settle uh, this part of the country at all. But think of the extreme hardship of the pilgrims and then jump uh, into 1777. The first Thanksgiving may ha- on our shores may have been at Plymouth, but the first national United States Thanksgiving after we declared our independence in 1776 was the following year, December the 18th, 1777. But think about that for a minute. I know I share this with you, but we need to be constantly reminded of this. Think about that for a minute. On November the 1st, 1777, the Congress of the United States or the Continental Congress of our newly founded 13 colonies that we called the United States of America got together and they declared a national day of thanksgiving. For December the 18th, 1777. I have the first Thanksgiving proclamation. Was it made in the city of Philadelphia, which was our capital city at the time? No, it was not. It wasn't made in Philadelphia because Philadelphia had been taken over by the British The British had chased us out of Philadelphia. They were living in luxury in the city of Philadelphia. They were going to spend the winter there. They were going to trash the city in the process. And they were going to take advantage of all the amenities of the big city. George Washington did his best to try to prevent that from happening. But unfortunately, he was outwitted by the British on several occasions. He finally sent his lieutenant over to the congressman and said to them four days before he finally declared, I can no longer, I can no longer protect the city of Philadelphia. Four days before that, in the wee hours of the morning, he sent his lieutenant over to our national leaders and said, we think that you're going to have to evacuate the city of Philadelphia. which they did, and they fled to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they feared that they needed to go a little further west, and so they went to York, Pennsylvania, and set up our national capital at Little York, Pennsylvania, where they spent the winter, and on November the 1st, what did they do? They say, for as much as it is, it, it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, etc., etc., etc. It is recommended to the legislative or executive powers of these United States 
to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December next, for solemn thanksgiving and praise. Where's George Washington at this time? He's in defeat. His men are tattered, just torn. I can't even read the letters. I, I don't even want to read the letter from the Surgeon General to the Continental Army and the members. I, I don't want to read it because it is so graphic as far as their sickness is concerned and their poor health and no food and no tents. Uh, tents hadn't even arrived where they were encamped at the time. The weather was cold and, and uh, it was unbelievable. And he describes, but you know, a few days later, uh, at, when, when Thanksgiving Day arrives, he says, you know, I'm in good health and we have a lot to be thankful for, the Surgeon General. But George Washington is at a place called... Gulf, several miles outside of Philadelphia and only seven miles away from the city of, or Valley Forge. And, and here, you can't see it, but here is, a, here is a national, here's a marker along the roadside, these historical markers that you see. Here's the historical marker on the roadside at Gulf Mills where George Washington was. And here's what it says. Here at the Gulf, on Thursday, December the 18th, 1777, Washington's army delayed their march into Valley Forge by one day to celebrate the first Thanksgiving of the United States. Proclaimed by the Continental Congress with chaplains performing the divine service. Now here's what's interesting. This Thanksgiving, in spite of suffering the day before, the march into Valley Forge showed the reverence and character that was forging the soul of a nation. That's what it says. Can you imagine? The day before they march into Valley Forge, they stop to have Thanksgiving dinner. And one, you know, there, there, there are plenty of accounts of uh, soldiers writing letters about what that was like. And one soldier was a little sarcastic about it. And he said, you know what? You know, we've done a good job. We're going to have a big feast and everything. Guess what we had? Guess what was allocated to us? Aside from the little meat we could scrounge in the countryside, we had... Uh, Everybody had about four ounces of rice and a teaspoon of vinegar. That's all they could give us. But forging the character showed the reverence and character that was forging the soul of a nation. The soul of a Christian is in our thanksgiving. The soul of a nation. You know, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, um, uh, Washington... I mean, we were thanking the Lord on Thanksgiving Day, but the day after Thanksgiving, he wrote a letter to Patrick Henry in Virginia. All knew who Patrick Henry was. And a uh, very, very devoted Christian and loved the Lord and, and uh, you know, caused him problems down there because uh, people thought he was too outspoken because of his faith. But, but he, had sent, he had sent all kinds of wagon loads of supplies up to, uh, to uh, George Washington and uh, George Washington wrote down, sat down, wrote a letter, and in thanks to the Lord, obviously, first, but he wanted to thank Patrick Henry for what he did. And when he would write letters to the Continental Congress, and he'd say, you know, we don't have any food, we don't have any food, 
He says, we can go out and we can get food from the farmers and all of that, but I want some assurance that we're going to pay them for this. We're going to compensate them for their food. George Washington did that while the British were stealing. One, at one occasion here, just shortly before this happened, they stole 2,000 2, sheep from the local farmers. But George Washington, I can see why that... Uh, the thanksgiving spirit showed the reverence and character that was forging the soul of a nation. Now you imagine this, and we're going we're to close with this. There's a lot of little details I could give you and a lot of little stories I could give you. But here's George Washington deciding that they're going to go to Valley Forge and they're going to spend the winter there. And they're going to build their huts. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but... George Washington had depots of stored food and supplies in York, Pennsylvania, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and in Valley Forge. And the British managed to get to Valley Forge um, and managed to steal all of the provisions that were there, that were stored there. There were over 4,000 barrels of flour thousands of axes, 25 barrels of horseshoes and cooking supplies and all that kind of stuff stored at Valley Forge and somehow the British managed to steal it right out from under the army. And George Washington was too far away to do anything about it. I guess that contingent of people that he had there just couldn't overtake or couldn't defend themselves against the British. But can you imagine George Washington... Now imagine this. Can you imagine his men coming into Valley Forge on December the 18th knowing that there was 4,000 barrels of flour there shortly before that time that are now gone? No supplies, no nothing. And they come with thankful hearts. It's It's... It's amazing. And I would have to imagine that God is the one who gave them such dispositions of thankfulness in the spite of their suffering. 